This is No Ordinary Wednesday, an in-depth look at the events and trends moving markets, shaping the economy and changing the game. Hello, I'm Jeremy Max. In the last episode, we considered how the mayhem and lawlessness in KwaZulu-Natal and Gauteng set our country back on the path to economic recovery. We also spoke to Dr. Nicholas Crisp of the Health Department about the impact of the vaccination rollout. In the intervening fortnight, Investec has lowered its 2021 GDP growth forecast to 3.9% from 4.5%. So this week, we're going to turn our focus to the informal sector and the so-called township economy. Those small businesses, spaza shops, hair salons, bakeries, all run by enterprising South Africans that are the lifeblood of many of our communities and a lifeline, I'd suggest, to countless families who lack a formerly employed breadwinner. With our staggeringly high unemployment rate and low labour absorption, the informal sector is essential. And tragically, it's this sector that was arguably hardest hit by the recent deadly unrest, not least because most of these traders were uninsured. Last week, the president announced that government would step in to assist Treasury, unveiling a 38 billion rand relief package with around 3.6 billion set aside for small businesses. Here's the question. Is that enough? In just a moment, I'm going to talk to Refilwi Rantakwa, also known as the Bread King of Soweto, to get a sense of just how devastating the events of last month have been on small businesses like his. He'll be joined by Investex head of CSI, Setlohane Mantiri, who will talk about the importance of the small business sector to South Africa's future and why Investec is invested in entrepreneurs like Refilwe. We're also privileged today to be joined by changemaker Tashmir Ishmael Saville, former chief executive officer of Youth Employment Services, we know it better as YES, which has made significant inroads in tackling the urgent problem of youth unemployment. We'll talk, among other things, about digital startups and the potential of the tech sector to become a real engine for job creation. But first, on No Ordinary Wednesday, here's Investec economist Laura Hodes with an overview of how the unrest has shaken the informal economy. So my first question, I think we're starting to appreciate just how badly the formal economy has been impacted by the recent uh, violence. But what about the informal sector? And maybe before we even talk about impact, let's get a definition of, or the best definition of the informal or the so-called township economy. Um, so the informal economy can broadly be defined as the production and employment that takes place in unincorporated, generally small or unregistered businesses, and workers are in most cases uh, not covered by formal arrangements that, for example, they do not have labor rights. So it's generally an unregulated sector of the economy, which makes barriers um, to entry very low. Many operators also earn below the income tax threshold legislated by SARS. So if you look back, if you cast your mind back over the past three weeks or so, do we get a sense of just how badly impacted the sector was? And I guess I'm not just talking about uh, the attempted insurgency. I'm also obviously bringing COVID-19 into this equation as well. The looting and unrest in parts of the country served to amplify South Africa's already fragile position. Informal operators are generally more susceptible to large economic shocks like COVID than those in the formal space. 
as they have limited access to debt financing and are generally uninsured. We don't have exact figures, but it it definitely runs into the tens of thousands of businesses Mm -hmm. in the informal space were affected, which accordingly would lead to thousands of jobs. And the knock-on effect, given the dependency factor on those jobs, is almost too awful to contemplate. So the president then says government is now going to focus on small and informal businesses, obviously to be welcomed. But only a small percentage or small portion of Treasury's relief package was earmarked for small businesses. I'm assuming that many of these businesses would have been uninsured. So not enough is being done or or is it? What's your view? As you mentioned, government has committed to, in their words, not abandon um, those not covered by SASRIA in their time um, of need. As rightly you said, uh, many are uninsured. So uh, the problem is, you know, I don't think it's ever enough funds available. Our fiscus is highly, highly constrained. It was constrained before COVID, which the initial relief funding for COVID put a huge amount of pressure on the fiscus. We are expecting a revenue overrun. We have had some revenue overruns. This together with the reprioritization of funds will help cover this additional financial relief. But those funds could have been used to reduce the budget deficit. So funds are limited and the government has committed to helping, you know, the most vulnerable, but it does have limited funds available. It is not in a great position. Laura, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not just about funding. It's also about confidence in entrepreneurs and the confidence that entrepreneurs themselves have after the violence. I mean, the reality is that it's going to be very, very difficult for businesses to restart, reset themselves up, and uh, for customers to start supporting them again. Yes, so that's uh, one of the biggest issues. So besides the damage and um, destruction to physical infrastructure and businesses, the spillover effect there is the huge dampening on business confidence and consumer confidence. I mean, business confidence had just risen back to 50, the neutral level in, in the second quarter. And now this will have a dampening effect again on confidence and impede investment and people's willingness to perhaps invest further in their businesses or restart their businesses um, once again. So do we need better policy or is that uh, simply too easy a solution? So there's a myriad of things needed to boost confidence. Definitely better policy, policy reform. I mean, one of the biggest issues largely in the formal space is uh, the regulatory burden, high red tape. So definitely lowering that would drive confidence to a certain extent. I want to end our conversation, if we can, on a more optimistic note. I'm assuming that there's always, or we would like there to be a silver lining, unexpected opportunity for small businesses in an environment like this, given that they have one thing that big organizations don't have. They are flexible, they're nimble, and perhaps they have a greater appetite for risk. To start, I think one needs to build um, a more conducive working environment for informal operators. Governments or bigger players need to look at um, investment in upgrading infrastructure, improving access to basic services, 
crime prevention in areas where former traders operate, and most important, access to skills training and mentorship programs and dedicated innovation hubs and boosting um, access to digital technology to the internet, which would help with marketing opportunities. So I do think there are some entrepreneurs coming, you know, leaving school who've got some very good ideas. I think there's always opportunity. I think there's always um, some niche areas and it's just a supporting those small um, new ideas and those new entrepreneurs in, in reaching their dreams. Because I definitely feel there's still, even in this depressed climate, there is still opportunity. And in just a moment on this podcast, we're going to meet one of those people, a young man who is thinking big and uh, who is uh, destined, in my opinion, for big things when it comes to entrepreneurial growth. Uh, Laura, thank you very much for joining us on No Ordinary Wednesday. Now, Rifilwe Rantekwa started his business, Baroto Bakery Enterprise, after commercially produced bread became unaffordable for many of his community. We'll talk to him in just a moment about how critical businesses like his are the very lives, the lifeblood of those who live in the townships. But first, a reminder that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday will be dropping every fortnight. To make sure you don't miss it, subscribe to Investec Focus Radio wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please rate us. And now, Rafil, we're welcome to No Ordinary Wednesday. Before COVID and the looting, your bakery and business was flying. You had 24 employees. Give us a sense of how COVID impacted on your business. But first, maybe the founding story would be a good place to start. Back in 2016, the price of bread went up twice more than that year. At that time, I was still employed in a corporate environment, the travel industry. So I knew I was a person who was crafted in a manner that I can survive by myself. Uh, and, uh, I'm a townshipper. I know the circumstances of the township, but now I wanted to take the bullet. I was not thinking it as a business that can make profit because I never ran the business so much. Fortunately enough, I was employed as a full-time. Then it was easy for me to go to the bank and ask for a personal loan so I can fund the business. Um, I rented the bedroom to stay there, but I want to convert this room uh, to a business. And then I want to install all these machines so I can start this business of selling bread. So we were baking early in the morning and midnight, I'll have to sleep on the floor. But it was something that I liked the most because of now people were excited that they're now getting a bread that is costing five friends. So I want to bring in uh, Setlohani Manchidi now, who is head of CSI at Investec. Setlohani, you've been listening to the story. Uh, you have a number of different programs aimed at developing and upskilling entrepreneurs. We can talk about that in just a moment. But when you hear a story like Rafilwes, what does that say to you? How many times have you, have you heard stories like that in the past? Let me say, first and foremost, it gives me so much hope. Jeremy, the hope of this country doesn't lie so much in what government and big business can do in job creation space. It lies in what Refilwe and many of his type of individuals, also energetic and inspired to take on a challenge that many are shy to take on, or maybe even scared to take. Um, it, and there the, the, the aren't and there can't be enough of these stories to tell. And that's very, very important uh, to hear. It's very, very important to see and it's very important to nurture. Rafilwe, I'm interested to know as a young entrepreneur, 
What gets you up in the morning? What excites you about your business? Actually, when we started, or when I started, I never really had much understanding about the impact that we're going to do in our community or the society or South Africa in general. But uh, as I grow and invest much more time and uh, really trying to add much value in what we're doing, we acknowledge that we created so much impact in such a manner that when some people look at us, uh, they really get hope and stability that there are people who really uh, mm. came to take the bullets regardless of what the circumstances. Particularly, I'm working with uh, 29 uh, young people from the community which are uh, dreaming that one day we're going to run a big uh, corporation of how people can benefit from mm. what we're selling on the everyday basis. So what keeps me going on everyday basis is that I took uh, a big, a bold step. How was your business impacted by the public violence that we've seen? And if it was, what was your uh, strategy in terms of trying to recover? Fast food businesses, smaller ones, that depending on us uh, on everyday basis to receive bread so they can produce their banish house or amakota, things like that. So those people had to close down their businesses because of the cancels, the, whatever material that they used to buy, the bigger outlets. So partly there was too much community that now looking to buy from us directly. So I know for sure that uh, some people are a little bit skeptical in terms of supporting the business because of they don't really trust the product. So I had to go all out to bring right. uh, the trust into the product that now since the bigger businesses are closed around, so now is the time to depend on us. But we are not only the bread company. No, we are just Boroto Bakery, the bread that you guys have to trust and believe in. And we've been doing this thing from 2016. So I use that situation and be opportunistic in it and to be relevant to most of the people down. This is the time to taste this bread. And then this is the time now we have to believe in this thing because of we are a business that started smaller, but now we impact more people around us. So what, what you're telling me is you were seeking opportunity uh, out of adversity. So Setlokhani, let me come back to you. I'm head of uh, CSI at Investec. I'm wondering if there are any plans in place then to support or bolster or modify some of your spend in the wake of this devastation that wreaks havoc in many parts of our country. Our focus has always been education and entrepreneurship. We've always felt the only way to really make a difference in society is enable people to become active economic participants. And we have in the last, in the wake of COVID-19, in the wake of the looting, sought to how best can we bolster our efforts in those spaces to make a difference. And there is. I mean, if you look at the number of people that we are trying to encourage to go to startup school, um, we are engaging with entities that are going to be issuing once-off grants to grassroots SMMEs who were directly impacted by this looting. So the focus on entrepreneurship and the focus on education is still very important in the wake of, of COVID-19 and these looting is to amplify that which we've gone and done because we've always believed that's the way to go. By the way, some have too many explanations as to what may have led to this looting or what may have fueled it. Part and parcel of it is you have a youth that is vulnerable because mm. it's youth not in training, youth not in employment, youth that has got very little to lose. And we've got to find ways in which we bring them back into the economy. Largely, I think, in this way, through entrepreneurship. Let me extrapolate that a little bit further, if I can. What role do you think uh, corporates should be playing in terms of improving 
and developing the sustainability of business. Because we've seen opportunity, how do you start ramping that up? How do you start building it? Jeremy, I think the most important piece that we really must watch is the fact that some businesses always want to pick cherry pick at the end when entrepreneurs are successful. This is a long and hard game. I see and view entrepreneurship development as a pipeline. And it's for businesses and it's for government entities to all participate in that pipeline. If we don't, where are these entrepreneurs going to emerge from? We have to go back to basics. We have to look at how it is that we can support. It may be even be at innovation space, uh, just for people to innovate. And then if you take the likes of Startup School, which is one of our initiatives, is to try and help those who think they've got an idea, kind of finesse it, polish it, and turn it and strengthen it as a business perspective, because that's that's important. That pipeline has to be grown. If we look to only cherry pick, we're only going to be able to see one, two, three. I always say, where's the next Brian Joffe going to come from? Where's the next mm-hmm. Stephen Kosev mm-hmm. going to come from? They've got to come from a pipeline. And we've got to look at this pipeline developmentally and grow it. Takes a long time, though. Rafil, I want to return to you and ask you this question. What's the big lesson that you've learned out of this difficult time that you've experienced? I was not really surprised so much because I know much things do happen uh, in life as a general. But how you do stay relevant is the most important thing for me. But I don't want to speak like I know much about everything. But part of my mind, I'm not a person who is presently on what's happening now. I'm always future-orientated. Last year, when the COVID started and lockdowns and things like that, as a small business, I was vulnerable. I was on the edge that we can lose part of the market because of with the restrictions. But I had to go as far as being innovative, try to be relevant to the whole situation. I know I'm a small business, but I don't have to think small. I had to find the ways that how can we be relevant to this COVID thing. Then we went as far as buying the shopping cart that are designed that they can carry bread. And then we had all those registrations that uh, the business that sell essential products must have at the time. So we made a, a trial of taking four young boys and they ran the street with all those things and they branded uh, Boroto Baker whatsoever. And then when they meet with the police on the street, they're selling essential product, the business is registered. So that's how we boom. We managed to create 15 new uh, employment for these people. So all the time I'm trying to find a way, how can we be relevant to all the situations that we face? So it's very difficult for me to take a blow when things happen because of, I know I'm a, I'm a leader in the business. I always have to be 10 steps ahead of everybody because of when I take the blow and tell my team that this is going to be difficult time, what am I telling to them? I'm clearly telling to them, uh, there's no no other way. And then I can't be saying that as a leader, I'm pushed and I'm obliged that I have to find a way. It doesn't matter how the situation is because I know all these 29 people are looking to me as a leader that what are we doing now? So I, I have to align my mind to be too much futuristic, even if I can see the situations a little bit, I don't have to tell them. You speak with such passion about your business and your life and you're such an impressive individual. Just a quick answer. Um, are you starting to see business rebuild? Partly so, talking about business, there's too much talking, yet less actions. Uh, what I've realized, people are now seeing business in something that is risky, it's been riskier. But I see there's a lot of business that are taking place in the township, but it's just temporary businesses because of people, the way we see business now, it's a matter of survival. Much businesses are built for the sake of taking from the hand to the mouth. They're not building things that they can impact so much and they can last so much because of this, this less understanding 
in business or entrepreneurship or so. Satlokhani, I'm going to give you the final word after that uh, fascinating conversation. You were asking a moment or two ago, where are we going to find the next Brian Joffe? Um, I think we might have just found him, but be that as it, be that as it may. Um, what are the most important things, and a quick answer if you don't mind, as to what government uh, officialdom should be doing in terms of supporting small business? I think the biggest thing, Jeremy, is to really concentrate on building an effective entrepreneurial ecosystem. And there are too many bits and pieces to it. But if I think of it, one small piece, internet connectivity in this country is just mind-boggling. I mean, I don't know how many things that I do. First and foremost, my phone is my friend. Google is my friend. And yet we have not facilitated access to cheaper the connectivity, Wi-Fi. Why am I talking connectivity as if it's going to shift the dial? It can shift the dial because it talks to online entrepreneurship resources. If I think of Startup School, just out of an impact study we've just recently done, people say we want to be on Startup School. But the fact that I'm, I do not have access to data constantly means I am already excluded from this wonderful opportunity. There are so many different online resources entrepreneurially mm. that we could um, facilitate if we had internet connectivity. But of course, internet connectivity will even give ideas in terms of online shopping, on, online retail, whatever it is that the likes of Refueler can take advantage of. Mm. It, it's just one small piece. I'm talking of an ecosystem. You've got a bits and pieces to it. And internet connectivity might be one significant contribution to that ecosystem. So much inspiration from both of you, uh, one slice at a time. I do appreciate you joining me on No Ordinary Wednesday. Now, in every episode of No Ordinary Wednesday, we pick a question about the world of money that's been on our listeners' minds, and we do our very best to answer it. So if you have such a question, here's the invitation. Just go to investec.com forward slash now. That's investec.com forward slash now and share your conundrum with us. Government has been criticised for failing to come up with any effective big-picture thinking or actionable plans to address our country's ever-growing unemployment crisis. Insurrection or not, much of the looting we saw just a few weeks ago was as a direct result of crushing poverty and pervasive inequality in our country. So here's our burning question this week. Tashmir Ishmael Saville, how does government use this unrest, this public violence as a real opportunity to tackle the country's serious unemployment crisis. We all know it's been our Achilles heel since the dawn of democracy. 32, just over 32% of our population officially unemployed. My question to you, how critical in this space is entrepreneurship and self-employment when it comes to the big audacious challenge of creating employment? What this crisis can do is really galvanize business into understanding the importance of small business in creating a stable society. We know small businesses are the most likely place that lower skilled workers can get their first opportunity and break themselves into the world of work. So if we can have more small businesses closer to where uh, the unemployed and, and particularly young unemployed people live, we'd see a much bigger absorber of people into labor and productive work. The less small business we have, the less likely it is that young people get that first opportunity. What we've also seen that characterizes South African small business, particularly in our informal markets in our townships, is these are generally owner 
run shops and they're you know they're, they're people who are uh, subsistence living off these stores they don't apply a lot of technology or digitization or capital expenditure in these businesses so they generally a single employee at these businesses now if we can galvanize the corporate sector the private sector to understand the importance of building the competitiveness technologies and skills of small businesses in their supply chain we start to get a much thicker and more robust sector so on the one side we want the private sector to start using their be scorecard as an example on enterprise and supplier development to really start investing in small businesses the yes program has got a beautiful project with life healthcare for example where they're helping us support black female entrepreneurs in townships in manufacturing textile manufacturing and they're buying the bags back into life healthcare for their maternity wards and this partnership has really expanded the number of employees that these black female entrepreneurs are hiring in communities because they're getting the support of these large orders and the technology support that we're giving them so so that's the one side of it on the other side of it uh where where government needs to step in i think there's a raft of policies that can be implemented to support these small businesses tax incentives like the eti could be extended there are a whole lot of ways in which you can give small businesses the opportunity to hire people and give them some kind of incentive and benefit at the same time when they do this mm. australia did it at one point they gave small businesses uh, a few tax incentives and overnight 55000 jobs were created in the country so the, these policy incentives really work you see this with yes we would not have been able to create the 60000 work experiences we've done that's 3.2 billion jeremy in salaries going into youth wallets because of the one policy incentive that we've worked on with the DTIC let me rewind and i want to pick you up on that phrase you used galvanizing the private sector um everyone in the private sector would agree with you yet often uh the private sector itself is fairly slow to act or it acts incrementally or it acts within pockets how do you accelerate that process i wonder so the policies i mean if you look at yes all of the ceos that we met prior to the incentive being in place now this incentive gives a business one or two levels up on the be scorecard if they invest in youth jobs prior to this incentive being ratified in the government gazette ceo said oh we'd love to join but nobody actually joined once we had that government gazette published and the rules of the game made very clear we suddenly see uptake so if you are able to put this into policy if you're able to create a clear set of rules and guidelines and there is a benefit to business you do see them acting but you've got to make it quite easy you've got to make the rules clear and transparent and you've got to have predictability in how something is going to work tashmi i want to move away from that and i want you to reflect for a moment or two on the importance of technology you're well aware that we've seen an increasing number of digital startups uh even before uh, the lockdowns before covid last year uh, hit us technology changing the face of small business could the uptake of tech uh, be a better engine for job creation absolutely you know technology solves so many problems for us uh, one of the biggest issues in south africa is access spatial apartheid you know keeping people away from the the hot spots of where the economy is driven from uh, the greater that distance the harder it is for businesses to flourish technology means that global best practice 
learning how to run your business better. So the training that is involved in running a good business is now more access accessible through digital technology. Then we've got the connection to markets. What we set up at Yes One Point was a digital marketplace where small businesses could put their wares onto a digital platform and find customers across the country and abroad. In fact, we had township-based mask makers. We were able to sell their orders in Belgium. So we had township businesses exporting because we were able to make the goods available on digital platforms. So access to markets is one. The next one is just having a website gives you uh, credibility around your product. You can showcase your product, the quality of your products. They, they just, you know, on, on every front, Jeremy, there's a way in which digital can enhance a business. Most importantly is investing in technologies that allow for higher quality, higher productivity and greater efficiencies. I think once we start seeing small businesses embracing those technologies better, we're going to see much more movement and growth in that sector. And that's all well and good. But in a previous conversation on this podcast, it was pointed out that access to and cost of data still remains preclusionary. And, and again, here's policy. You know, why, why are we not moving on the policies that will make data more cost effective, that will open up more bandwidth? These are, these are simple changes that we can make. We know that they will unlock immense changes in communities and yet we are so slow. I mean, we see this also with, uh, with, with, with green energy. We see exactly the same bureaucratic holdups and, and blockages in the system. Uh, and, and it's unacceptable. We've reached a point where, where this sort of policy paralysis and stagnation um, is, is, is holding millions of people back from being able to access those opportunities. If we make it easy for small businesses to participate, they will. My understanding is you're heading off uh, to the Northern Hemisphere quite soon uh, to look at uh, startup and innovation in Canada. What might you learn or what do you want to learn from experience there that could be replicated here? Part of the reason for this move is it's technology and innovation on a global platform. Uh, the work at the Mars Discovery District is clean tech, health tech, um, so it's the kinds of technologies that can allow communities and societies to leapfrog forward in terms of the way we deliver education, the way we deliver energy. If we look at the South African context, my fear is we are so embedded in the weeds of our politics and getting simple things right. And the big picture stuff that will take all of us down mm. is something like the climate change. I mean, we're seeing it across the globe at the moment, floods in Germany, China, the UK, the floods are happening because of increasingly high summer temperatures. We're going to get to the 1.5 degree uh, temperature move. It's going to accelerate all of this. And we are still fiddling with little policies around broadband. You know, so, so the hope is that I will be part of a movement that is looking at leapfrog technologies. And absolutely, the plan is how do we disseminate this knowledge and bring it back into societies like South Africa, where the adoption and application of these technologies can really change the way we do things. I want to ask you a final question, and I want to come back to the original burning issue that we're discussing. How does government use this civil unrest as an opportunity to tackle unemployment? What's the one big thing that we need immediately? We need business to work seriously with government on operational programs, not talk shops. 
If you look at YES, I think what, what has been so wonderful about YES is we talked about youth unemployment. We got a policy through that's supported from government side and we have over 1,500, 1,600, I think it is at the moment, businesses registered on this platform. We've got to create an operational vehicle not just talk that business is going to work with government. And I think that this is a big wake up call for the private sector to see that you cannot operate in a bubble. You are deeply integrated into the health of society. And if government can work on more policies and operational platforms that allow businesses to drive mega projects, particularly in digital, we can bring hundreds of thousands of jobs back to the continent if we just onshore all of the digital work that we've offshored. So there are mega projects like this, which companies can work with government on to set up the infrastructure, the things, you know, like, like Spectrum, um, you know, get those unlocked, make the cost of data cheaper, train young people to be able to take up these. It's, it's, there's no silver bullet. There's no one sentence that's going to say this is what you do. It's the integration of the technology, the infrastructure, and bringing business together to create those. How do we get business to work on mega projects and government must set up the infrastructure and lower the costs and barriers to entry in those sectors? And as cliched as it sounds, and you've hit the nail on the head, less talk and more action. Tashmir, thank you very much for joining me on No Ordinary Wednesday. Well, I hope that we've all learned a lot about the current state of small business and the township economy in the past 30 minutes or so. I'm hoping it's a topic that we're going to be hearing a lot more of. On that note, I want to invite you to watch our latest Focus Talk. It's an important conversation between Puti Mahanyele Tabengwa, Chief Executive Officer of NASPER South Africa, the country's largest company, and her counterpart at Investec, Fani Titi. It's a wide-ranging and candid discussion centered on the topic of entrepreneurship and you can find it at investec.com forward slash focus talks and if you haven't subscribed it's time to search for investec focus radio essay wherever you get your podcasts and just hit that subscribe button until next time goodbye from me jeremy mags and the rest of the focus radio team the views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendation. Investec Specialist Bank, a division of Investec Bank Limited, is a registered credit provider.